the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Caleb Herring's coming up. Our football insider on Wednesdays in the 4 o'clock hour, Adam Candy, Cofield. Lots more NCAA tournament talk. We'll get a preview of the San Diego State game against Creighton. We just got done talking Colorado State and Michigan. Wyoming lost last night. Not an embarrassing performance, but they should have won that game. They could have won that game. Indiana's not that good, but uh, Wyoming did it to themselves. <laughs> not to get too graphic. That's not the, not the way I meant it. So, Baker Mayfield is doing it to himself. Right, He cannot refrain from being a child and being immature. And I feel for the guy. He's a solid quarterback. He's not a great quarterback yet, but he won't listen to other people's advice. I have no idea how coachable he is. And then yesterday's move, Candy, of putting out basically a goodbye letter to Cleveland is so ill-advised and so childish and so drama. Dude, what's the point? Nothing has been done yet. Don't say goodbye to the city and try to curry fan favor and stir the pot even more. I like how he thinks that sending out a goodbye letter would curry any favor with a fan base that's already out on him. Nobody wants Baker Mayfield back in the first place. And so I don't care how many progressive commercials you put out there and look all charming. That's not really what the fans in Cleveland are looking for. The worst part to me, though, Cofield, is that, yes, there are rumors of Deshaun Watson having met with the Browns. He's one of one of three teams that he's met with. Uh, They just went and got you Amari Cooper. They just went and got you a number one wide receiver, and you're saying your goodbyes? Like, you should be thankful. They just went out and got you another number one receiver after the number one receiver they got you last time you didn't click with, and then he went and won a Super Bowl with the Rams. He's a peculiar character, and I know some people want to take up for him. Already sent over uh, what we think is a a woman. We have no idea. You, You never know who's really on social media, but someone's sticking up for him, and you know, I'll stick up for him a little bit. He did play through a ridiculous injury last year. He was beat up for the most of the season. He could have shut it down. So I'll stick up for uh, him that way. But also, I don't know the inner workings. I have no idea if he's been working on his craft. I don't know what his practice habits are. I don't know what his leadership skills are. So it may be way beyond. Like, for the Browns to be done with him, if they are done with him, it may be way beyond what he's done on the field. He has been handed one of the better situations in all of the NFL. We looked at this team last year and said, Baker Mayfield has everything we need to find out whether Baker Mayfield can take a team to a Super Bowl. Now, he got hurt, and you're right. I think we completely underplayed the severity of what he played through with a basically busted non-throwing shoulder. If you look at the numbers, you know I love my numbers. EPA per play, expected points added per play. If you look at the last few guys who were selected number one overall, Baker Mayfield measures up well. He's right next to Kyler Murray in terms of EPA per play generated. But he was handed the best offensive line in the NFL, one of the best running backs in the NFL, one of the better wide receiver duos in the NFL, and a defense led by Miles Garrett that was set up to help this team out in every way possible. So, I don't know what it is that Baker Mayfield is looking at and saying that, well, there's a reason I've held my silence and so on. He was handed this situation, and for whatever reason, it hasn't worked. But you know what? Just give it another run. No one wants to hear the complaints. Tomorrow, the main brackets in the NCAA tournament kick off. We'll be hanging out at Silver 7, Flamingo and Paradise. Come on down and watch the games at two different bars and the sportsbook right there, the William Hill Racing Sportsbook with the Silver and Gold Bar. Or we'll be set up at the Bud Light Lounge as we are every Thursday. We're going to be doing the show a little bit early, 1 to 4, as we'll be in the middle of the day. 
77 cent beers, all of March Madness, all the way through the uh, end of this whole thing. 77 cent beers. Those are bottles of Bud, Bud Light, and Mick Ultra. Your spot to watch March Madness, March Mania. The brackets unfold. It's Silver Sevens with Cofield and Company. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Hanging at the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. Man, crazy day of transactions. You know, we knew it was going to be this way. We got the brackets going down in NCAA basketball. We've got football free agency opening up after a couple of days of tampering, and we're squeezing the entire baseball offseason into like three weeks. So hometown hero Chris Bryant, it is official. Start Bonanza High and then San Diego formerly with the Cubs and the Giants. Seven years, $182 million with the Rockies, and good for the Rockies. You know what? Actually, try. Fans will show up. They might care in Denver if you you build with some elite players. So Chris Bryant going to the Rockies with a seven-year deal. Caleb Herring is in. Caleb, how you doing, buddy? Man, I'm doing good. A head spinning a little bit, trying to keep up with free agency and the NFL shifting around so much and everything going on at the same time, but I'm doing good. Crazy, isn't it? So the Raiders were real quiet, and that's what I expected. And, you know, you had people freaking out. They weren't going to do anything. And it looks like their first course of action is to clean up salary cap issues and change up the defensive line. So give me your reaction to what they've done on the the D-line, a couple of small moves, and then all of a sudden Chandler Jones in the fold for upwards of uh, 50 mil. And Unique Ngakwe is going bye-bye to the Colts. Yeah, I mean, I th- you think you saw kind of the, the idea, like you said, making the cap space and the Crosby deal was kind of the biggest things to start things off um, to kind of see where their focus was, which was solidifying the defensive side of the ball, I, rightfully so. Um, and then I guess the, the the shift where, you know, everybody has documented and talked about the problems on the back end of the defense so much um, and the secondary not being able to cover, especially in the division that they're in with, with the kind of pass attacks that they're going up against. Um, so everybody's been kind of focused on how they're going to fix the secondary. I think the Raiders kind of took the the opposite approach, and I think maybe the more sure-handed approach if, if you're talking about what you're actually going to get um, and the value in pass rushing. I think that's where they're kind of starting things off, at least. And maybe they'll figure things out with the with the the secondary as free agency kind of shapes up, and they see who's available in that in those spots. But they're going with what they they probably think is a formula that can win against heavy pass teams, which is having a good defensive line, having a good pass rush where you can just get pressure with the front four. That's one of the, the easiest ways, I think, to beat good quarterbacks and good passing games is to disrupt the timing by getting pressure on quarterbacks. And um, it's been a formula that's worked for teams in the past. I mean, you look at the way the Super Bowl ended even. I mean, the, the pass rush was what won the game for the Rams. You look at teams like the Giants when Eli Manning was there, and the, the pass rush was really what made that Giants team special. Um, other teams, the Ravens in the past. There's, there's plenty of teams that have gone this way where they use a defensive line that's solid uh, at getting at the quarterback to kind of be the anchor of the defense and then everything else is just a supporting cast. So uh, it looks like at least this indication seems like the Raiders are focused on shoring up that front seven first and then using the rest of that cap space they free up to fill in the gaps on defense in the secondary. Caleb, you played quarterback at UNLV when you were preparing for a team that had either a strong pass rush or a lockdown corner, maybe a pair of lockdown corners. What was more challenging for you? What was something that you had to deal with with both of those? Well, I think the first thing was is not looking at the rush. When you talk about having a dominant pass rush or you know a team that gets pressure, the the 
the the fact that you overhype yourself on the, that pressure that they can get pressure you want to show up your protection so much sometimes your eyes get undisciplined and you peek at that rush every now and then and make sure the protection sewed up before you get to your read and that just that in itself just disrupts the timing of the offense on the back end you know i don't see the coverage now as easy because i'm focusing on the blitz that's coming at me or that that edge rusher, making sure I'm sliding the protection toward him because because when he's on the weak side, I know he's got his ears pinned back coming from the blind side to try to get this sack. So third down situations become more critical because it's like I don't want to get in third and long because now that pass rush is going to be at its best, right? So then you put more pressure on yourself for first and second down to, to get more yards, uh, maybe not throwing it away when you should or, or, or you know being okay with taking a no-yard, one-yard gain on a run play on first and second down. So there's all kind of mental things as, as well as game plan things that you have to account for a pass rush, especially when you're a quarterback. You, you want to make sure that the pass rush is sewed up. So, um, and as far as having two lockdown corners, I mean, you just pray that that never happens, right? Because then you, you got basically your best threats eliminated from the pass game, so to speak. And and then you get in the habit. I think coaches and quarterbacks are like in the habit of game planning to throw away from a guy just to be safe. And if there's two out there, man, you, you really got limited places to throw it. You, you better hope your tight ends win it against linebackers. But no, it, it's tough to, to go into a, a game and know that you're facing a tough pass rush, especially if that pass rush is good without the blitz. You know, that that's a whole different animal to, to game plan against. Then they could still drop seven in coverage and, you know, be, be rushing with four for the entire ball game. And you're still running for your life. So definitely something to think about if you're a quarterback in the conference and you've got a, a solid pass rush to worry about if that's what the Raiders are able to build up here. I mean, you look at what the AFC West can bring, Caleb, and now you see the Raiders with Chandler Jones and Max Crosby, Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa in San Diego or Los Angeles. I'm going to do that for the rest of my life uh, with the Chargers. As you should. Uh, you know what? I like that. <laughs> yes. Let's stick with that. I like that. Uh, <laughs> It's obviously great pass rush throughout the rest of this division, and we've talked a lot about the Raiders and whether or not they can hang with the other rosters. It feels to me thus far like Ziggler and McDaniels have kind of split the difference here a little bit, right? They've they've cut some of the guys from the Gruden regime, kind of started to move on a little bit, but they've also gone and spent that money really quickly on some replacements where it's not really a rebuild. But at the same time, you look at this team and you're not sure if they're going to be competitive in the division. Where are you with the Raiders' plan for 2022? It's it's tough to say, but like you said, especially with the factors of the division teams that they're going against. So what the Chargers have done, obviously what the Broncos have done to, to bolster themselves as contenders. Um, it's hard to say with the moves that the Raiders have made that they're in that same vein, right? Like they're contenders as well when they haven't really done much from last season so far. Um, I do th I do not think, and I've been one that said that the Raiders don't need to rebuild and blow everything up. I think there's some minor tweaks that they can make to their personnel, um, maybe not so minor, but some tweaks they can make, some adjustments in philosophy and things like that, that could change the way their defense uh, and, and their team overall works in the division and how they can win games um, and, and be more efficient together as a team that they have. That being said, you look around at what the conference has done, what the division has done, they've taken leaps and bounds just by adding personnel right and i the raiders haven't taken those same leaps so you can't look at that and say that they're on par with the rest of the division they're not at, as far as personnel goes right now there's going to have to be some other aspect and this is something that Derek carr hasn't dealt with in a year in years and the offense really is an adjustment in the scheme and the offense that they're going to be running so we don't know for sure we can't just put a, a we can't write it in ink that the offense is going to be okay. They're going to be efficient and score points. We don't know that. There's going to be some growing pains on that side of the ball this year 
which, for, like I said, for the first time in a few years, that's going to be the case. So there's a lot of questions around what the Raiders will be. I think you're starting to see the philosophy unfold with some of these signings and, and these pickups early on. But we'll see how they, they make because they got to make a splash in free agency if they're going to keep pace with the rest of the division uh, for next season. Well, outside of the division, we're talking to Caleb Herring, talking a little football, former quarterback at UNLV and a football insider with us here in Cofield and Company on Wednesdays. Uh, some big deals today. Von Miller, six-year deal, $51 million, $34 million guaranteed. I mean, that's a great team. It's a good addition, I guess, in the short term. Seems like a lot of money for where Von Miller is right now in his career. And and six years, I think that's the uh, that's a long time at his position and where he is in his career. Like you said, that's a long time. But I think that's the Bills looking at what we needed, like to get us over the hump. Like we've got pretty much everything checked, like all boxes except for when we needed a big play down the stretch to win us the game in overtime. We couldn't come up with a defensive play. So I think um, going out and, and going to get Von Miller obviously isn't a roster improvement now. How does that affect the team in the future? How does that affect, uh, you know, how does that affect their ability to continue to build the roster and be a, a significant, significant contender in the AFC? We'll see. But for the now, for where they think they are now, they are Super Bowl ready. With, you know, with the roster that they have, adding Von Miller, uh, with, with the Raiders breathing a sigh of relief because there was rumors he was going back to Denver, which wouldn't have been fun, uh, you know, for Derek Carr and, and the rest of the division, I guess. But I think for the Bills to pick him up, that shows where their mindset is. And it's it's kind of the trend of the day, um, you know, the F the picks type of mentality. Like, we're going to go after it and buy the best players we can that are available that are proven in this league, and we're going to go for a ring because we think we're contenders. And I think that's what the Bills are pretty much pushing their chips in here with these kind of moves, that kind of deal for a guy like Von Miller. Championship uh, pedigree, bring him on your defense and, and help bolster that up so you can finally push your way through the AFC. Let's stay in the AFC. Baker Mayfield puts out what looked like a goodbye letter. Your thoughts? Oh God! It, it, <laughs> first, I'm sick of I'm sick of social media being where people negotiate and talk about like business stuff. And I, we talked about this with Kyler Murray before, um, and and now the latest example is Baker Mayfield. It it's like it's like your girlfriend coming and saying, "Hey, we need to talk." And then you just go into, you know, we had a great run. I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss you. And it's, you don't know. You don't know what the talk is yet. You don't know where the conversation is going to go. Like foot and mouth syndrome. Like she could have been like, hey, I'm ready to take the next step. And now you're, you're like you're now left out in the wind because you just basically broke up prematurely. And this is that like if you have doubts of where you're going to go, if you have questions about what happens next, take control of your destiny with the people who matter. The fans on social media, honestly, don't matter when it comes to your future, where you're going to go. They booed you. You were booed by them. So like to telling them and saying your farewell to them really doesn't have a lot of, of impact on what the future holds. Go to your front office. You're the quarterback of the franchise. They paid you millions of dollars already. You're the public face of the franchise with all the commercials you do. And so go. you have some clout. Go talk to them. See where their head's at. Maybe they'll be honest with you and say, yeah, we're looking for a next quarterback. Where would you like to go? Let's find a, a suitor for you that you feel comfortable with. At least make it amicable. Now this public breakup thing makes everything messy. Nobody wins from this. The Browns don't win. They're not going to get value for you because the, the people that see that maybe you're potentially on a trade box see, well, <laughs> there's tension there. Low, low ball them. Like, let's get them for as cheap as we can, right? That's one way of looking at it. And then the second way, you lose all leverage. The Browns, if the Browns know you, they want you out, and you basically agree, yeah, they're going to get me out publicly. Well, that makes your job easier. Then you're gone later. 
keep the leverage in your favor. And and it's one of the things, too, that I, I, I really hate about the NFL these days is that we anoint these players to superstar status before they've done anything in the NFL. Baker Mayfield was featured in commercials everywhere before he'd won a single game as a Browns quarterback. Right. Like he he was all over the place as the next big thing. And he hasn't won playoff game. Like, or, you know, I, I mean, he has, but he hasn't done much to win. Like he's, he's had a great, a good team, a good offense that's underperformed by every metric based on his play. And everybody's known that for the last two years. His play is what's holding the Browns back. So for you to go publicly and break up with the team, basically, <laughs> it's just stupid. It's childish. Keep your mouth closed. Go to the front office and talk about it. What are you on social media sending love letters to the fans that already booed you for? Work it out with your team. And then if things don't work out, now we'll start shopping around and, and looking elsewhere. But it's just silly for to me that before anything's discussed in the front office, you're on social media breaking up with the team. That's just it's not the way that you should do business as a quarterback. I mean, Tom Brady's not breaking up with people on social media. You know what I'm saying? Like it takes <laughs> Tom Brady three weeks to actually retire, and then he comes back. And there's stuff that's worked out in the front office we don't even know about. And then it's like all of a sudden Tom Brady's on the Buccaneers and they're winning Super Bowls. And that's how it's done. You do your business behind closed doors, not in front in front of everybody for everyone to see. And that's I mean, I'm getting sick of it. It's the younger quarterbacks really doing it. Um, Aaron Rodgers, I say, could probably fit in this category. But th there's so much going on on social media. And that's not a real place. It's not where business should be done. Conduct your business with the people that matter. Go to your front office, talk to management and figure it out there. There he is. Old man, Caleb Herring, shaking the fist at <laughs> the sun and. Baker Mayfield, did you fill out a bracket yet? I did not, and I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest here. College college basketball has been somewhat of a mystery to me this year. Um, I I I really don't know what's going on. Like, there's a lot of firsts happening in college basketball. I've been just really excited about UNLV having a kind of a resurgence, especially on the women's side, um, winning the conference there. I, that's kind of been localized for me. So looking around at the, the the national landscape, I'm just like you know pretty much Gonzaga and Arizona. I mean. Duke's having an off year. They're not favored to go very far, even though I think they're the lowest rated two seed. And that's the first time I've been able to say that. Um, <laughs> but I mean, outside of that, I really don't know, you know, what what college basketball is. I, I'm, I'm nervous to fill it out. Maybe I'll fill out a bracket for fun. I got maybe a couple hours, you know, 48 hours to get it done. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I really don't know. I'm just going to really enjoy it as a spectator this year and just watch good basketball because I, I'm, I'm betting that's what it's going to be this year. Caleb, we appreciate it. Thank you. All right, guys, have a good one. Take care. Caleb Herring, go fill out our free bracket contest, lvsportsnetwork.com. Up next, we'll get back into the brackets. We're going to talk to one of the dudes who is on the broadcast team for San Diego State as the Aztecs get ready to take on Creighton. John Schaefer from Extra 1360 is in next. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Thames hits again. Xavier Thames putting together a masterpiece here in Spokane. He's got 30. Simply unguardable off the ball screen. You want mid-range? He's got mid-range. Flames coming off the basketball. Well, San Diego State would love to replicate what they did back in 2014. Xavier Thames with a massive game as the Aztecs made a run to the Sweet 16. They've got their game coming up tomorrow against Creighton. It's time to get a preview with one of the guys who's a part of the broadcast team, John Schaefer. He also does Afternoon Drive on Extra 1360. Let's start off with the seed, John. Do you feel like San Diego State got a bit jobbed with an eight? It's reasonable considering the season that they had. I mean, I think you could make an argument that they could be seeded higher, maybe a seven seed. I think the metrics would support either the last six seed or potentially one of those seven seeds. But the fact of the matter is, 
in the Mountain West Conference, uh, if you don't win the conference tournament or the regular season, I don't know if the committee's going to do you any favors. I think ultimately an eight seed is a reasonable seed, especially when you consider Boise State won the regular season and the conference tournament and is also an eight seed. And I think San Diego State among the eight, nine matchups, and it's easy for me to say this right now, we'll see how these games play out. I think it's a, again, it's a, it's a reasonable draw. I think that they're capable of, of beating Creighton. I'm sure Creighton feels as if they've got a good chance against San Diego State as well. But I think all things being equal, San Diego State had a really nice year, um, and they should feel good about their seeding overall. Can you make any sense of Boise getting an eight and Colorado State getting a six? You know, the, the thing I would say there, and I think Boise should be seeded higher. You know, I, I would say Boise at the very worst should be a seven seed. Um, I think you could make an argument for Colorado State as a six or a seven. Listen, Colorado State beat Boise twice in the regular season, and I think Colorado State did more in the non-conference than Boise State did. Um, I think their victory over Creighton uh, was a good win. I think their home win over St. Mary's was an excellent win. Um, and Boise State was tripped up a couple of times. Now, I think they're a different team, but it's still part of the resume. I mean, they're a completely different team than they were uh, in November and December when they started three and four, but that counts. They all count. So, you know, I, I think the committee um, – probably should have Boise State as a seven seed, not as an eight seed. Um, but outside of that, I understand. Colorado State had a nice year. I, I could see Colorado State being a six or a seven seed. And they have a tough – they got a tough draw, Steve. I mean, having to travel to Indianapolis to play Michigan as a six, and they're an underdog in Vegas. So that's not exactly the, the world's most favorable matchup. Right. And also some travel woes, apparently, as the NCAA has been a sure. little late getting some of these teams out of their Mountain West Conference town. So one of the big stories to me for San Diego State is making sure that – uh, their top weapons are humming along here. And Matt Bradley in the tournament, I don't know if he was tired or if it's just a familiarity of the defenses, but do you expect him to get back to form? Because he didn't really shoot it well in the tournament. I think he does get back to form. I thought you you made a good point there in saying that, you know, there's a familiarity. I, I think when you see someone a third time, which is what Fresno State, Colorado State, and Boise State all saw Matt Bradley. I mean, that was the third game that they could have game planned against him. So I think they tilted their defense to say, if we can stop Matt Bradley, we can win the game. But the truth is, San Diego State is now proving they can beat people even when Matt Bradley doesn't have great offensive performances. I mean, they did it against Fresno. They did it against this sixth seed in Colorado State, and they really had as good of a chance as, as they could ask for to beat Boise State, if we're, if we're being honest, you know, with a couple of cracks there in the final possession of the game. So – um, you know, Creighton's a good defensive team, a lot like these teams in the Mountain West, very similar to a Boise State, I mean, top 20 defense in the country. So I don't think it'll come easy. But Matt Bradley, I think, relishes those challenging uh, – you know, it, nothing comes easy. If you watch the way he scores, he doesn't do so right. um, with open looks. He does so in ISO. He does so with contested shots. He does so by getting to the rim and getting to the free throw line. Um, so I do – I expect a more of an offensive weapon – in Matt Bradley um, on Thursday against Creighton. And obviously San Diego State's going to need secondary scores. They're going to need players to step up and make shots if they want to advance. Aztecs go against Creighton 4 o'clock on Thursday. That's on True TV. John Schaefer covers the San Diego scene on extra 1360s up with Cofield and company. Let's build on that theme of facing someone new who's not familiar with you. I think the biggest advantage for San Diego State is to get out of conference play and now their defense is fresh to someone else who you know clearly hasn't seen it this year, how big do you think that is that now you're going to have a Creighton team that I'm not going to say blown away, but they're facing something a little bit different here in a top five Ken Palm defense? Yeah, I think it's I think it is advantageous. I agree with you. I think that you can't replicate what San Diego State does defensively. I mean, they prove it game in and game out. It's it's nearly impossible to um, 
to break through against San Diego State's defense. I mean, you look at the points allowed this year by the Aztecs, 56 or 57 points per game. I mean, nobody really scores more than 70 points a game bottom, which leaves them in a game. You know, San Diego State's defense puts their offense in a position to be in every game. Very rarely do teams go on runs, runs against San Diego State, and very rarely this season do the Aztecs find themselves trailing by eight or more points. So, you know, I do think that there's something to be said about uh, not being able to prepare for their size and athleticism and the way that they switch screens as often as they do and just the the toughness and the fierceness and the physicality in which they play with. Now, San Diego State, again, offensively, I think we'll have to prepare for a Creighton team that's played good defense. They've got a seven-footer inside. I think they've got good size with their wings and their guards as well. Um, you know, I think ultimately it's going to be a relatively low-scoring game, which is the way a lot of games are played when San Diego State is in them, and it might come down to a final possession or two. And if San Diego State is in one of those games, I think they like their chances. They ended up on the right side of a few of those, and they ended up on the wrong side of a few of those, but they would take their chances with that. New looks for uh, most of the players on both sides, except for Adam Seiko. This is kind of a cool story. 100%. 100%. If you're talking about Adam Seiko and his his brother, Arthur Kaluma. Yep. Yep. Uh, it's a great story. I mean, um, Adam's a fifth-year senior. Adam's already an asshole comeback for his sixth year because of the COVID policy where players get the extra year. So he registered in one year. He'll take advantage of his COVID year as well. He, he's shot 41% from beyond the arc this year, and he's a great defensive player. Uh, so he's been a great sixth-man, seventh-man for San Diego State this year. His brother is a freshman at Creighton, um, and he's had a really good year. And they played together on the Ugandan national team this past summer. Um, and Arthur Kaluma, yeah, you know, you watch his film – um, and he's he's talented. He, he really is. And he can score. He can rebound. He can shoot a little bit. He can get to the basket. Um, I think they'll be matched up at times against each other, even, even though Kalum is 6'8 and Adam 6'2. But the way San Diego State switches screens, we could see it. So there was a little bit of trash talking going on, more from Arthur to Adam <laughs> as opposed to Adam to Arthur this week. But I think it is a pretty cool storyline. One, one of the more unique parts of the NCAA tournament in the first round. To be no doubt. No doubt. And UNLV is very familiar with Arthur Kaluma because he was a commit, a verbal commit of UNLV with TJ Altsberger and decided to go to Creighton instead. So I'll tell you, uh, my favorite player really in the league and certainly on the San Diego State team in terms of the way he plays is Nathan Mensa. I, uh, I like the defense of San Diego State, but I think that guy anchors the whole thing. I cannot believe the, the work he does on the perimeter at 6'11". I've mentioned many times, you know, they switch. Uh, I mentioned locally many times. They switch. Um, and they don't care that Mensa's covering a guard sometimes. And he had Bryce Hamilton probably 15, 20 times in the two games and didn't hesitate, and Bryce couldn't get around him. So Mensa's matchup in this game is going to be really intriguing. I think most of the time he's going to be on their seven-footer, Ryan Kalkbrenner, but we could also see him at times on Ryan Hawkins. Talk about the value of Nathan Mensa, a big who does not have to switch on the pick and doesn't freak out over covering a guard. He's as good of a defensive player as I've ever seen in college. You know, I mean, it's as simple as that. I mean, I've watched him as much as anyone, but it's it's ridiculous what he's able to do. His footwork is so good. Even when he gets beat by a guard, like you said, his wingspan is so significant that he's able to recover and block shots. He does it routinely. I mean, he was he was routinely matched up with Isaiah Stevens this year um, and did <laughs> yep. phenomenal yep. work on him. Um, he was routinely uh, matched up, like you said, with Bryce Hamilton. He's been matched up with Abu Kijab. Um, you know, this league has really talented players. He's been on Hunter Maldonado. Um, and whether it's Maldonado or it's Graham Ike, he's having a similar amount of success. I mean, it's it's just amazing. I mean, I don't even know how to say it, other than the fact that there's not a lot of teams in the country that obviously switch all five positions with their center. And that's what the Aztecs will do with Nathan Mensa. And I think it's really the difference. It probably separates them from being a, a great defense 
to an elite defense or, you know, one of the top 25 defenses to being the best defense is Nathan Mensa. I mean, he, he's deservedly the defensive player of the year. He's had some offensive moments as well. But, man, what a, what a Mountain West tournament. Ten blocks for him in the Mountain West tournament. If he stays out of foul trouble, it, it's a world of trouble for the opponent. Trey Pulliam is also a, a neat story for San Diego State. Um, rarely do the Aztecs pull from the JUCO ranks, but they did, and he really developed into a nice player. And now he gets to go home, right? He does. He's about two hours from home. He's from Bryan, Texas. Um, I'm with you, Steve. He's, he's one of the better stories in college basketball probably a lot of people don't know about because he was lightly recruited. Uh, for him to end up at San Diego State is truly remarkable. His first year, he plays in the 30-2 team as reserve guard behind Malachi Flynn and K.J. Fagan and played good minutes, especially down the Last year, really came into his own. He was playing brilliant basketball into the tournament, probably as well as any Aztec. And that team had Jordan Shackle and Matt Mitchell and Terrell Gomez. Jordan Shackle right now is in the NBA with the Wizards. And then this year, he was bothered by uh, – he had a strep throat situation, and he was out because of COVID. Um, that messed with his fitness a little bit and his comfort and his confidence. But now, like last year and even his first year at San Diego State, he's playing his best basketball. He really is. Uh, he's confident. He's making big plays. He's a good distributor. He's been better on offense. His floater game is terrific. Um, I spoke with him yesterday. He said it's a dream come true to play in Texas. Um, he really hasn't been back in the better part of the last three years. Um, and he just wants to take advantage of this opportunity. But one of these guys that was always counted out, that's made the most of every single opportunity. I wish I had his record in front of me with San Diego State. But 30-2 and two, two years ago, 23-5, and five, I want to say, last year, and 23-7 and seven right now. Hmm. So do the math. Something like 80-14 and 14 in three years. He's just a winner. In Vegas, what do we bet? Aztecs 2.5, the total's 120. You know what? I stay away from it, Steve, um, because of my, my – ties to the program um i'll tell you this i mean i, I can say this just in, in a generality it's going to be a close low scoring game you know I, I can i can guarantee that this is not going to be 87 83 uh this isn't going to be 83 52 which is the last time they played by the way in vegas they played in vegas two years ago uh, malachi flynn's team when they went 30 and 2 and san diego state blew the doors off creighton but no one on creighton right now was in that game maybe one player was on the roster a couple of Aztecs played in that game. Nathan Mensa, Gwokarope did play in that game. But that was a team with Malachi Flynn, who's in the NBA, and Jordan Shackle, who's in the NBA, and Matt Mitchell, who's playing professionally. I mean, I mean, it was an incredible team, obviously. Maybe the nation's best team. We'll never really know. Maybe a Final Four caliber team. But they did play two years ago. San Diego State's matched up with Creighton three or four times the last decade. They had a really good win. Creighton did at Viejas back in 2011 when San Diego State had Kawhi. I want to say it was either 2010-11 or maybe it was 11-12. So it might have been the year after Kawhi. But Creighton's had a good win against San Diego State. Aztecs have beaten them a couple of times as well, including in Vegas a couple of years ago. But I'd be shocked if it was a high-scoring game. I think it'll be a low-scoring, closely played game. John Schaefer, extra 13-60 in San Diego. Uh, kind of crazy. Aztecs leave town, but the NCAA is actually coming to Viejas. Uh, what's the vibe yeah. around town? I think there's going to be a really tough ticket to get at Viejas. It is. Uh, the, all sessions are sold out. Um, this is a much better regional for San Diego than they got last time. I forget what it was. 28 was a, excuse me, 2008 was a little bit, no, 2018, uh, was a little bit of an interesting setup because there weren't a lot of good West Coast programs. And I don't think the entire eight team regionally even had a program for the West Coast. They had like Marshall playing West Virginia in a round of 32 game in San Diego and Clemson was out here a few years ago as well. I mean, to get the University of Arizona here, obviously that'll be a significant home court advantage for Arizona. They could be a national championship favorite. To get Texas Tech with their history, 
over the last handful of years getting to a national championship game. Um, I think it's exciting for San Diegans. But, yeah, Texas Tech, Arizona, um, we'll see either Rutgers or Notre Dame. Alabama will be here. So there's some intriguing storylines. I think San Diegans are excited. As you know, Steve Viejas is one of the great buildings on the West Coast. A little bit of a hidden gem. I think it's perfect for a regional. I, I really do. The size of the venue, I think, is made for the NCAA tournament. It'll return in 2026 as well. So I think that'll be the fourth or fifth consecutive time that it's been here every four years. One last San Diego topic. Man, if I'm a Padres fan, I'm livid right now. Uh, they made a commitment to Tatis Jr. to the tune of $340 million in 14 years. He's riding motorcycles? Come on. Yeah, it's you know it's interesting. I mean, spring training starts, and literally day one, you get that news if you're a Padres fan. And, you know, this is a city that's had to endure losing its NFL franchise within the last five years. And, like, you know, there, there's nothing bigger in San Diego than – the Padres. I mean, the, the Aztecs, obviously, with football and basketball can be right there this time of year. But the Padres, um, you know, make this town go right now, especially with the star power and the spending of their owner, Peter Seidler, and the 2020 season when they had a really good year in the pandemic year. It's disappointing. It just is. I mean, it's disappointing. He's a young man. He made a mistake. There's no question about it. Uh, there's a level of disappointment here. Um, I don't think anyone, <laughs> you know, wishes that they didn't sign that 14-year, $340 million deal with Tatis. I mean, they see him as the future of the franchise. They see him as a Hall of Fame caliber player. They see him as someone that's going to bring a championship to the city for the first time in the history of San Diego. It's just in the moment right now, it is disappointing. And to, to overcome that loss will not be easy. Uh, we'll see how they navigate it. Hopefully he returns in, you know, 10 or 12 weeks. But, but in the here and now, uh, there's a lot of disappointment. John, good spot. Good spot. We appreciate it. We know you're busy and enjoy this run uh, for as long as it lasts with San Diego State. Steve, we appreciate that. Thank you. Be well. There he is. John Schaefer covers San Diego State. Aztecs against Creighton tomorrow. We'll see if they can advance out of the eight hole. Time for a giveaway. 364-1100-364-1100. Lamb of God and Megadeth are playing at the Mick Ultra Arena, Mandalay Bay, on April 9th. That's a 6 o'clock show. You can buy your tickets via Mandalay Bay. Right now, we're giving away two of them. Caller 7 364 1100 Four bands headed up by Megadeth, Mick Ultra Arena, Mandalay Bay, April 9th, 6 o'clock show. Caller 7 364 Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. Cofield and Company. Cofield and Company. Five seconds left. McDonald, two seconds. McDonald traps. Heaves. Can't hit. That is it. Stanford survives again! The brackets are here. Games are being played. Uh, you hear, uh, man, I can't remember when ESPN used that song as the theme for the women's tournament. Probably 2004. Look that up. See if I got that right. 2005. Um, we got a men's game going on right now. Uh, women's tournament rolls out later in the week. Although they did. Actually, I have that wrong. They did expand to 68 candy. Uh, Lady Rebels will be playing on Saturday. 7 o'clock start. Game will be broadcast on radio on 920 a.m. Arizona is the opponent uh, tomorrow over on the campus of UNLV. There'll be a send-off. I think it's a 2 o'clock send-off for the Lady Rebels as they head towards Tucson. Uh, men's game right now, first of the two playing games tonight. 16 seeds. This is a fun game. Four minutes into the second half, Wright State 54-47 to over Bryant. 
Do you have a problem with me uh, saying it's a fun game? There's no defense being played, but, you know, after watching a Mountain West Conference season with a lot of grind-out games and that Wyoming-Indiana game, which was a grind-out game, it's not the worst thing that we actually see some offense and some up and down in men's college basketball. Let's have some fun with Bryant. Bryant gets up and down the floor. What else do you want out of a 16 versus 16 game, right? Neither of these teams is going anywhere come Friday. Just have some fun with it. Yeah, right now it's an eight-point game. I'll tell you a little more about Bryant on the roster on the way back. They trail by eight. We got the big five on the way. A lot more deals in the NFL to get you updated on. Blockbuster move with Chandler Jones coming to Las Vegas. The Raiders uh, finally go out there and make a, a big, big, big deal. And you know what's really cool or kind of scary is that with Chandler Jones, maybe comes UFC great John Jones. Uh-oh. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.